Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Bizarre Junkies podcast. I am your host, Austin Alvarez. Uh, we are joined by Miss Lana today. Lana, how you doing? What's up, guys? Uh, you're actually, people are starting to say that they enjoy having you on as well. So between, really? between you and George, like you guys are the two main engineers uh-huh. for this show. Um, but today, today, Lana, we have a special guest. Um, Super hot guest. This is like, <laughs> I would say, besides our crime scene cleaner, this is it doesn't get more real than this. Um, if you couldn't tell... By the title of the episode, we're joined by Miss Lauren Drain, who Ooh-hoo. is a, I you know you kind of do everything. So you're a fitness model, you're a nurse, you're an investor, you're a podcaster, you kind of do everything. <laughs> I've tried to dabble in a few things. Yeah, yeah. But the craziest part, and what we're going to get into today, is you were a former member of the Westboro Baptist Church. That's which, right. that's correct. Which our TV just turned off, which is the ghost telling us. Uh oh. Oh shoot. The ghost they they know what's us. up. Yeah. They know I'm a former cult member. They're trying to like yeah. get their shit straight. Oh, that yeah. TV. <laughs> I see Ooh, my It's very on. ghosty Let's, in here. Oh, yeah. Shit. And, and literally, Lauren was like, "Oh, you're going to use that?" I was Ouija like, "We're not using this Ouija board. I don't need any more demons in my life." And <laughs> the mental ones are enough. Okay. <laughs> the mental. And demons. you turned off the wrong TV. All right, we're good. All right. The ghosts have have left. For now. Um, for for now, we I, I don't know if I ever told you before we really get into it. We used to we used to have like some creepy things Paranoia, going on. Paranormal yeah. stuff happening. So here? we had a this show called Dying to See Me, which is a crime scene cleaner. His name's Matt Montague. Um, he was what helped it really propel this show. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, so he cr- cleans up crime scenes. He owns yeah. a company that cleans them up. That's insane. He had a serial killer's house where this guy had a bunch of dolls that he ta- <gasps> like drew designs on, like tattoos. What? So like the, he cleans out the house. The FBI's there because it's a serial killer. It's a big yeah. thing. And he like asks the FBI agent. He's like, "Can I have some of these dolls?" And he was like, "No, but we're gonna leave them all out for the trash to come get. So if two of them end up going missing before trash oh. comes, like, I, I, oh my I, god, I, then somehow you so can... he had them and wow. he brought them into the studio and he left them here. Mm-hmm. Oh, and so I that and I a lot. Using, I'll touch that Ouija board all why day aren't long. Why are they up here, right here, just hanging out? This is why. Okay, I, as soon as they came in, I told Lana, I told George, like, he I'm did. not fucking touching those things. Yeah, that's kind of gross. For the, I would say I think they were here for about a month. For the <sighs> month that they were here, we had so many technical problems that like yep. never occurred. Yeah. we had episodes getting deleted. We had episodes like corrupting. Yeah, people were just at each other's like throats the whole time. Did you throw them in a wood chipper or something? No, he he took them back. Okay. Um. That's safe. But like legitimately, I was like, it was those fucking dolls. As yeah. soon as the dolls left, all the problems. It stopped. was like oh, yeah. peaceful in here when the dolls the left. The dolls left, and I was like, I yeah. can appreciate all of you again. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we've had energy in here before. Okay, um, makes sense. Thanks to the show, George now is always paranoid <laughs> and scared of stuff. Um, so that's what we do here. We 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 have that kind of touch. But so I want to get into you, Miss Lauren. Drake, okay, let's because chat. you you were from when I first met you. Yeah, you were on another show and you were talking about the Westboro Baptist Church. Yeah, and I totally spaced on it and I was like, I need to have Lauren on the show. Like, <laughs> that's such a like. That Do you know fits. about the Westboro? Yeah, I've heard. I've heard. Um, I did some research again, but I've they I, they were always like a in the back. Yeah, room. yeah. Growing up, I always yeah. heard like oh some weird protests yeah. and weird stuff going on with them yeah yeah absolutely. well they were a lot more in the news media like 10 years ago right like when like, i was probably like up. even 15 years ago when i was there so i've been out for like 15 years yes. but i was in it for seven so from age 14 to 21 Wow. okay yeah. so let's let's start with how did you get involved with the church because you weren't born involved? in no i wasn't born in um i'm the oldest of four kids but my father was doing doing this like documentary on the church okay because i so that i have that as a question we'll, we'll get to that yeah, though. yeah yeah so um 
I, I discovered it through my father. My father was a film student at KU or Kansas University, Westboro's in Topeka, Kansas. So uh, we we had lived actually in Florida for a while. He was going to transfer to this Kansas University, and he uh, did the film. And once he did film school, he's like, I really want to do this crazy documentary on these obviously bizarre people, this bizarre cult. They have a very extreme religion. They protest funerals they pro they protest like christians jews you name it like military and uh he wanted to interview the main pastor at the time at the time was uh pastor fred phelps in topeka so he um he went about i think he said about for a whole summer this is before i turned 14 or right around there and spent the whole summer with the church uh the pastor and kind of like he was going to do a mockumentary style like making fun of them and a parody and kind of like making fun of the religion and when he stayed with them for he kind of started to adapt their ideology so it was very strange how that worked but I have my theories on why that happened but yeah so my dad got very close with the pastor and a lot of like they call them the elders they're like the people of his age range so the pastor was obviously uh like a generation older uh he, and then his generation a bunch of the people that their age which would have been like my parents and the them they're like the elders he became friends with them and then he brought my family there so I was 14 years old lived like a relatively normal life. Like, you know, I'm dying my hair. I'm you know, 13, 14 years old. I'm painting my nails. I'm doing what 13 year olds do, you know, starting to date the boys, things like that. And, uh, that all, my whole life abruptly came to a halt. It's like, you're not going to dye your hair anymore. You're not going to cut your hair. You're going to wear certain clothes. We're throwing out all these other clothes. You can't date anymore. You got to follow these strict, you know, cult rules. We're going to be protesting. We're going to be picketing. We're going to be political. We're going to be religious. So I had like a drastic shift in my life at pretty young age yeah yeah and that's like a that's like a, a key age for like finding yourself and going through these so changes true. of like learning to be independent and yeah. all that so how did you feel going through all that like what was racing through your mind when that abrupt um, shift came you know i i'm a very curious person i'm a very kind of rebellious nature person at heart so but i'm also very much i'm a very family girl like i love my family i love being part of a family and so i knew that my dad was into it you know, I didn't really understand it right away. You know, you're a 14. What can you possibly understand? Like, I barely understood everything at like 24, let alone 14. Um, but I, I knew it was a very public, prominent group. I knew they protested a lot. I did. I wasn't sure what I thought about it really. I just knew that I wanted to make my parents proud, and this is like making my dad happy. And he looked very, 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 very happy. Like he was invested in it. He. It's like the pastor became a father figure to him. My father. Uh, did not have a very good relationship with his own father. Um, he, I found this out after the fact. So he never really told me this. This wasn't something I, something I discovered later on, but I kind of think it had a, a huge impact, which is his own father. He, my father was a product of an affair. So his mother had a family, like married with kids, and then his father had a family married with kids. And they came together, had an affair, and kept the baby. Um, and then bounced him back and forth between the two families. So I think this had a huge impact on him, you know, feeling but like he belongs, feeling like he he's, belongs to his father, belongs to whoever. And he even told me some short stories about how the step-siblings were not so nice. And, you know, I, I think it was very troubled childhood for sure. Um, and the pastor Phelps, like, it's very crazy because if you've seen videos, you can still look at him now even though he's passed away. And But, you know, you can find him all over YouTube. Been tons and tons of documentaries. Uh, Pastor Phelps is very prominent. He's loud. He's boisterous. He's vocal. He's like this charismatic cult leader, like basically what you would think a cult leader sounds like, right? right. As a pastor, and he's like this fire and brimstone type. So he's gonna like curse you to hell, and you have all these reasons why God hates you, you know. So um, 
But the thing is, that's his public persona. I I got to know Pastor Phelps as a person, like as a grandfather. Like we called him Gramps. So it was a very different experience for me because I'm on the inside, right? So I we joined the church and they have like all these houses right next to each other. And I I like became like a granddaughter almost. Like my dad became kind of like a, a son. I became like an instant granddaughter. And I got this whole community of people, like all his actual granddaughters. He had a ton of ton of kids and grandkids. I think he was like had maybe 13 kids and all of them had a bunch of kids. They didn't believe in birth control. So you can imagine everyone popping out kids left and right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like this compound where everybody, all the cousins live right next to each other. It was a very unique thing. I, I think some people have an idea of what cults are. Like they all live next to each other and they don't have outside friends. And it's very much like that. So, but when I grew up there, I, I became like a substitute granddaughter. So I got this like love and tenderness and like nurturing that you would get from a grandfather. And then I, I, I witnessed that however many percentages of the time. And then, you know, people see the 10% on the news, which is his loud, boisterous self. So I saw the dichotomy. I saw the difference. And so I very much, and they taught us that everyone on the outs, the outside, right? The media, your, your friends at school, everyone else you meet outside the church, they're going to hate you. They're going to condemn you. They're going to judge you, you know? So they, they created this dynamic in our heads at a very young age. It's the me versus you me versus you thing, right? But it's you in the eyes of God, though. Uh, me right. in the eyes of God and us, all of us, because right. we're God's children. Right. And so 70 people, I'm talking tiny little grandkids, you know, uh, 70 people and like five, five, five families, basically, and not even that more than that, are God's people in all of the earth. And so it's this crazy, like, uh, elitist mentality. We're self-righteous. We're better than everyone. It, they kind of teach us this, but only because we're following all God's rules and we're, we're not sinners because we're trying not to sin and we have all these rules that we have to follow. So they create this and they were very good at it because it is Bible-based. So they would show us all the verses for all the rules we had to follow, all the sins we couldn't do. And, uh, and so we could see like it was, a, the Bible became, you know, a, a way of life. And so we would follow it. We would read it every single day. I read the Bible every day for seven years. I, I know a lot of the verses and the stories like by the back of my hand. Um, and you know, some of it's great because there's some morality in there that's decent. Right. Um, but then they blew a lot of the, a lot of stories and verses out of proportion and, you know, I don't know. You tell me what you think about what you've seen. Yeah. I mean, so I, I didn't, so like my immediate family, like my parents, everything aren't necessarily religious. Like we didn't go to church or anything, but I went to church with my grandmother, uh, kind of around the same age mm -hmm. um and then i did cub scouts as a kid which was municipal like we, we went to a school and did yeah. it but then um for boy scouts especially here in in vegas they're almost i mean i think it changed now but when i was growing up they were all like mormon okay so you had to go to like a mormon church to do boy scouts so okay. i was like okay i guess i'll go to a, a mormon church and do this but i was like i'm not going to church and yeah. then uh, I started like listening, like that's when I really found like metal music and like they were like, that's not cool. And that's I was, not like, the same thing as a Boy Scout. <laughs> right. And I was like, okay, so I guess I'm not going to do this. But so I always had this like, I went to church and I was like, yeah, God and everything. And then when I started thinking for myself, I kind of was like, wait, hold hold on. What? And I kind of distanced myself. Yeah. Um, But this is like the far extreme. 
Yeah. In comparison. It is. Um, it's interesting because like my, so before 14, I had like a kind of like very loose re- idea of religion and God, you know, my, my mom and grandmother were Catholic and, you know, we go to church on those days, like Christmas, Easter, you know, you know, get a little God, a couple, a couple times a year, you'll get some God religion. So I, I didn't feel super connected. I didn't really believe it was real. I thought it was just a tradition. Um, and I noticed these people as wild and as extreme as they look and sound, they live, eat, breathe this this book. Like they believe it at the bottom of their souls, whether they can twist and contort it is a different story. They believe it and they will do everything they say, it says. And if they find a new verse that says something now, all of a sudden they're gonna accommodate that with their, their lifestyle. So that at least the situation was, I had exposure to God and religion as a let's just play it nice kind of social thing. <laughs> and now it yeah. became like, this is everything I believe. And so, that that wholeheartedness towards something whether it's a community or a belief system i really fell in love with that so that connected with me initially like obviously i had no choice i'm 14 i'm living in this place they're making me follow the rules but i i had a really strong connection to the people the sense of community their die hardness for their beliefs and then i also was like on the front lines of pickets from age 14 on so you have to understand like you know you know, lobbyists and all these mm-hmm. things, but I, they're screaming and yelling at you. They are throwing things, throwing cups and drinks at you. They're threatening. Some people are ho- will hold up a freaking knife. I've seen a gun waved in a car. Like people are are pretty like violent and extreme when it comes to these very extreme beliefs. So I'm on the front lines of a picket line at age 14, 15, 16, like you said, formative years. And I'm having to figure out what I think and believe about people, ideology, like people being mean and abusive like i don't i don't know exactly what to think because i'm being programmed to think what the church thinks but then in the back of my head i'll get like little thoughts that i'm like it's like my intuition trying to crop up you know i remember a couple pickets because we didn't get to choose what pickets we went to for the most part like our parents would send us on trips we would go and protest we'd have this sign we might not even know what political figure religious figure or celebrity we're picketing we get there and our signs are like oh so and so is in hell you know thank god for this tragedy september 11th whatever and so we were kind of pawns in that regard. Like we would go to, we, we believed it, but we would go and end up at a pick, pick a trip that we didn't really know much about. It's like, almost like, like, it's, like, it's, like a, a freaking soldier's funeral. Right. Like we'd show up and I didn't know who that person was. I didn't read the news article on right. it. I mean, maybe I might've read it on the way, but I'm showing up to pick at someone's funeral and I don't even know who they are. I don't know their story. Um, and you just is, know what you've been taught in your group. Right. Which is, I, you know, thank God for every tragedy is what they've told us. And uh, anyone who has like an untimely death is in hell. And you know what I mean? Like a lot of these things. Um, and if you were teaching them the right things, then they, they wouldn't have died and like, all this stuff. So I knew what they taught me. But then I remember this, the intuition that went off in my brain. Like it was like overpowering what I've been taught. I might have been like 19 or so when this popped up. So we were picketing. I think it was the Amish schoolgirl funerals do you remember that uh vaguely yes this is a while ago maybe yeah well, like oh oh five oh six like so long ago 20 years ago probably okay it might have been i can't remember if it was pennsylvania or philadelphia somewhere but anyways it was pretty it was huge on all over the news and we went there and i had never been to a child's funeral before i had been to like adults and things Veterans like that and stuff like but that. for something about knowing that it was a child i just like became overwhelmed with grief and pain in my chest like I was just I was in a probably a panic attack is what you what I was feeling but I didn't know what that was back then and so I'm sitting there and you know you're on the public street there's people going right down the street like a highway or whatever you're at on a street corner and you have news media because we call the news media before we show up and they're all showing up 
you're not trying to hide you're trying to be seen and i'm sitting there like okay i don't want anyone to see me right now like i'm having an aha moment but i'm holding a sign on a street corner with media coming up to me and i literally like say to set a prayer i was like please don't let anyone see this i don't know how to answer for this i I don't know why i'm here i don't want to be here like it was just like a whole aha moment because i was like we're at a child's funeral like and I wasn't even close to being a parent at that point. I just knew that internally it was wrong. And uh, like that was just an instance. But of course you can't say anything because the church will condemn you, kick you out. Like there's a lot of punishments for speaking up. So, yeah. That's like there's just so much like like I feel overwhelmed for you. Like I'm like, what? How do you like? I know. That's, it's so crazy. It's so intense. Honestly, okay. Uh, so I've been out for 15 years, but I'm still very impacted by these things obviously it's taken years to like deprogram things it's taken years to do mental health like discover what mental health issues i have and how to like work with them um and i also know a lot of people have left and i will say that it has a strong mental health impact on us like i mean between losing your family and being brought up in this very isolating group and being taught that all these things that you do in life are so grievously sinful that you're going to die and not only die you're going to hell and when you go to hell you'll burn forever it's just like it's so intense and it's drilled in your head from the time you're little that even if you question it it's still there like it's still a program running right. in the back of your head like i know people that have left that don't even believe in god and they still feel shame around certain things like maybe they can't walk even near a church at all maybe they can't even go like to visit, I don't know if you go to Rome and you want to visit the Vatican or I don't know anything. You're like, that's I'm going to go to hell. No, if I do that. no chance. But like subconscious. Yeah, subconscious. So even if it's not fully someone's thinking that they believe similar stuff or even in the Bible or God, they're having these intense shame feelings, right? So I think that's what the church did to do did to us. Is it caused us to have a lot of shame about everything and um, pain and feeling like there's judgment and there's so that. I don't know how much you've done on because my my podcast is triggered is about mental health like a lot of it is right yeah I mean so I am somebody and I think we've had this conversation before I'm somebody who has mental health um, issues I don't know if I want to say issues but like I suffer yeah. from anxiety and depression yeah I was medicated for a time for it I okay. actually found I was just talking with Travis about it earlier I actually found alternatives to medication oh good yeah which one of them has been really helpful in the last few weeks which is journaling like just oh yeah just kind of just getting my thoughts it's like out a mental and, purge yeah right yeah, and yeah. so that's been helping also just trying to be more open with my, like in my relationship or with yeah. my emotions or like we just had a big change here at the studio and so I'm like hey can I talk like I told Travis like can I talk to you like not in a sense of like I'm gonna quit or anything but like it's almost like a mental dump. Like, can we just yeah. get this out so we don't have to talk yeah. about it later? Yeah, you're, um, you're getting to purge out your yeah. thoughts. Yeah, and so, like, this last episode we just did on, like, the um, the San Isidro McDonald's massacre is this guy who felt he had no options left in life. <laughs> and in, in San Diego, he called this mental health clinic. Okay. And he was like, I want to – he's like, I, I think I have a mental health, like, issue. Like, I need I need help. And they like said, crisis. yeah, absolutely. Um, they're all at lunch. We'll call you, like, as soon oh, as they're no. back from lunch. But the problem was, is, and so he sat by the phone for like the rest of the day and the clerk made an error in like his spelling and like his phone number and oh, they no. never called him. And <gasps> oh, so the God. very next day he went and massacred 21 people in a McDonald's. Oh, wow. And, and, yeah, See, I and never that, watch the news because of things like this. Yeah. Like, and, but and but you know what? I want to know. I want to know. Mm-hmm. So what happened? He shoot it up? Or yeah. What? So he went in there and he had some guns and uh, he went into just a McDonald's and just started shooting. 
And I, I think God. he killed 21 people, and it was and it was so the fucked up part was there's no discrimination. He shot infants, he shot oh old people, God. he shot infants? adults. Infants? Yeah, he shot oh infants. God. I think the youngest one was six months. People are gonna have to sue this company. Do we know what the company is? That what didn't? Oh, this was well, this was 1984. Oh, so there there have been <laughs> this was a okay. while ago okay, that okay, this happened. Yeah, this wasn't like a week ago or something. Okay, fine. Um, but the underlying condition with that was like ultimately he should have went in person because yeah. let's say. Mm-hmm. Let's just say, I, like, I call today and I want mental health resources today. Let's be realistic. I'm going to call. They're going to call me back. and they're like, Yeah, we can get you in in six months. Yeah. Or we can yeah. get you in in three months. Like, I'm having a crisis. I need to talk to someone Yeah, today. I just need to. And so I don't even think the suicide hotline was a thing then or crisis yeah. hotlines were a thing back yeah. then. Yeah, yeah. So now that you can do that. But, like, George and I were – because George engineered that episode with me. And we, we kind of had, like, an underlying of, like, Mental health is not your problem, but it is your responsibility. Or it's not your fault, not but it your is your fault. It's your responsibility. Yes, though. yes, yes. That's a good and way. So, mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Like, take care of yourself. Like, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be like, go get medicated. If you don't yeah. need it, don't do it. But, yeah. you know, well, it's like self care. The shrooms are cool. <laughs> weed is cool too. We that, talked about that too. We yes, got, we did. Hey, Psychedelic therapy. Weed is better than Lexapro. Oh, yeah. for sure. I'll just say that. Oh, I was on, well, think about it. Like meds or plants in general are better for us. Yeah. Right, right. Like I feel like, you know. Yeah, like, I went from 20 milligrams to a day of Lexapro to now I don't. Well, I, I, I grew, I, mean, I was a nurse for 10 years right. and I, I didn't do specifically mental health, but I had lots and lots of pages and all of the things you're talking about, Lexapro, this, that, well, future and whatever. And nobody was doing awesome. And I no. could see they had side effects. And I, I was like, I knew in the back of my mind, this is not the answer. This might be a little Band-Aid. But yeah. then there's also people that were becoming more suicidal or more depressed on stuff. I was like, this is not the answer. Yeah, like I, no. I remember talking to my therapist about it and because they would check in with it. And I honestly, I think therapy is amazing. Like, yeah. I loved it when mm-hmm. I did it. Um, and we were talking about it and like my psychologist or psychiatrist and I were talking about it. And they were like, how do you feel? Like this was like two months in of taking it. And I was like, I feel like I'm just at a base. Like I'm just always just in the middle. I'm not happy. I'm not sad. Ugh. So like, sure, I'm not sad anymore. Okay, but I'm but also I'm, don't feel any emotions. Correct. And cool. so and so they were like, okay, well, let's give it another. And like, I was always, I was like, okay, let's give it another month. Like yeah. maybe I just need to really adjust to it. Yeah. Um. And then it was through my employer though. And then my employer fired me. I started here the next day. Wow. And I was like, oh. I just had a really bad anxiety. Of, I'm I'm just constantly going to get fired. Oh gosh. Aww. Like and then I would self-sabotage myself cuz I was Aww. like, ah. Yeah, your mind will do that, won't it? Yeah, it, like, oh, absolutely. And yeah. then so when I started here, Mm-hmm. And John and Travis were like, as long as you're not like actively trying to fuck up, like trying to make things hard, <laughs> you're not going to get like I, I I made a joke like I was like, I think the only thing that would get me fired is if I killed this client. And John goes, no, I just, I'd help you. I'd be like, all right, where are we burying it? I was like, all right, cool. Now I know that I John can John would say that. And he, he did really say, did say it. Um, uh, But yeah, so when I started here, I, I was able to take my, I couldn't do therapy anymore. It was through my employer. I couldn't yeah. afford it. Um, and So, so I, the, the weed is what helped you? No. So I only started smoking weed f- six to eight months ago. Okay. Um, I've been here since March so it was 1st the journaling, the journaling that happened? No, so that even started, one was the change of environment okay. and the lack of stress. Um, oh. I started to get more stressed here. Mm-hmm. And then I started smoking marijuana and I was like, oh, I feel, I can't, I, I feel like it was like a good wind down at the end like of the day. chill, yeah. And then I started journaling re, like actually like six months ago. And I do multiple types of journaling. I do, okay. I'll, I'll journal and write down like how my day went and yeah. how I felt. Okay. But then I also journal and do like, like almost like a brain receptacle. Okay. So I have like so a little. So you could dump it, just dump some stuff out. Yeah, or like if I need to remember something, I'll be like, like so like here I have a journal specifically for to dos. Yeah. What needs to get oh, done today? What needs yeah. to get done tomorrow? Mm-hmm. 
And then I have another one that I carry with me, and they're okay. all field notes, so they're all real tiny. Are they actually organized or they're random? Uh, no, it's just random, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how my shit is too. Well, I, mean, I have all these different journals. That's and how like, our yeah. brains are. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> none of these are at all organized. They yeah. all have different shit, like as to do this, and this is like what, like what you like to do. This is like a bad day. Like I'm yeah. journaling all kinds of shit. In there. But yeah. you get well, it out I mean, of you. I try to keep them the journals separate. Okay, but like, that's so good. like my main one at home is just I'll go date. So okay. like like today I'll write again about today and I'll yeah. title it ten slash five. Yeah, um, you're gonna be in his journal. Uh, no, <laughs> no, not, not necessarily. I'll just I'll write things about like what made me feel uncomfortable, why well, it made me feel uncomfortable. Journaling is awesome for many many reasons. But yeah. I I found it to be pivotal for me because I was diagnosed with complex PTSD about three three almost maybe four years ago now. No Do you mind if was it related to? Oh yeah. You're this like, Oh yeah, this? Okay. absolutely related. Okay. Yeah. And it's interesting cuz like I told you guys I've been out for 15 16 years. So you right. would think like, "Oh, she's well adjusted, no. she's got a family." Never. You know, she's We have a you have you met Bobby, the host of Fight Junkies? Yeah. So he I think he got out of Iraq yeah, I did. A, a, around that time okay, and he yeah. still has lingering things. Oh, I have a sure. cousin who served in Bosnia in the 90s. Yeah. He's still like Oh yeah. Still But goes it's one of those these... things where well, it'll it can either snowball over time so it can yeah. actually get worse. A lot of times it can go dormant when you're not like having a repeated trigger. Right. So then when all of a sudden you get a trigger out of nowhere, 15 years later it's you're like, really "Oh, you yeah. freak out." <laughs> so I didn't know, but for I would say so specifically for Westboro. Um okay, so I got kicked out. When I was, oh God, rebellious. Okay. I got kicked out when I was. So are I have, we allowed to get to this part yet? Or yeah, no? I mean, okay. so I have I have user questions like so okay. from the audience, and okay. it kind of goes into that. So maybe oh, okay. we can yeah. jump can into I, that. Wait, can Shoot I your ask question. a question real fast before before you guys uh, continue? <laughs> your guys is with journaling. Yeah. When you journal, do you guys go back and read your own stuff? Yeah. Yes. Um, oh, okay. But I don't. I don't. I don't necessarily go back and read it specifically. Like I'll just thumb through and go, oh, what was happening this day? Yeah. Okay. Why did I feel that? And then I'll read it. But I'm. I'm. What I'm trying to do is like one, get in tune with my thoughts and get in tune with my emotions. Yeah. Because that's something I struggle with a lot. Is like, especially in my relationship, I'll just shut down during an argument. Yeah. Like, because I don't want to. I oh, want to yeah. avoid. Yeah. The confrontation, because I feel that I'm just going to get overly emotional oh, and start sure. yelling, and so I know it's that, really smart. It's a good like. Yeah. It's a good little check to keep you in check. Yeah, and it, and like Travis and I were talking about it earlier today. It'll be like. Okay, this made me mad, and then I'll journal into. Okay, well, why did that make me mad? Yeah, I'll explore I, I, I will tell you. I'll answer this question, Lana. I literally self-diagnosed myself with two different disorders based upon my journaling. So no, seriously. And I mean, I when I say self-diagnosed, I didn't actually. I went to like several therapists, and like they they have this DSM diagnosis, and like okay, let's right. check yeah. it but off. But you're probably able to come. But to I came to the conclusion because I was like, whoa, these things are. I'm recognizing about myself. So back to reading your journal. So let's say I write something and I'm really mad about my husband or like an argument I had or something happened with a friend. I journal all the things. I'm talking like exactly what you think. She's being such a fucking bitch. Like exactly <laughs> what I'm thinking. Not like nicey nice, but like, you know, what I'm feeling yeah. in the moment. And I don't care. I just like verbally or written vomit all over the page. And then I go away and I calm down. I do something to calm me down and then I read it the next day. So I want to see if the emotions that I had in that moment match my like baseline reality. Oh, and so, yeah. And so like it doesn't always. It's no. really really crazy. You'll surprise yourself. Like I okay. So this is how I I'm gonna I'm gonna out myself, expose myself on your show because <laughs> okay. I actually Go. I actually haven't talked about this untriggered yet because it's it's embarrassing and it's uh, I don't know if humiliating is the right word, but I'm being so open about uh, mental health and I really want to help people. So I basically discovered I have borderline. Have you guys heard of borderline? Borderline. Borderline personality. Okay. No. Yeah. So it's um, it's from trauma, 
And it's, um, but anyways, basically with borderline, your emotions go really, really high and low. Like, like if someone normally goes, I'm a little happy, I'm a little sad. Mine go, I'm You're really like, I'm super happy, ready. <laughs> and I'm super, super sad. And oh. I can get this in a matter of hours. Like I can go from like being on top of the world, everything's awesome, to like I'm, I am too. This isn't bipolar. <laughs> no, it's not. And this is how you know it's not bipolar because bipolar is like a series of days where you're manic and a series oh, of days where you're depressed. Right. right. Whereas by Borderline is when your emotions can really fluctuate within an hour or mm -hmm. two or it three. Sounds like me. Damn, this is why no, I hate these it's conversations. Intense. <laughs> it's so intense. And so like I I started to notice it because when I would journal, my the person that I was that day is not the person I'm today. Like I don't feel right. those same feelings. You, like, you'll sleep on it and you'll I'll go, Oh, I it. overreacted on this. And I'll know, yeah. whoa, dude, like you went off on your friend in your like thank God you went off on your friend in your book, not in real life. Yeah, because <laughs> this would have been real bad. This would have probably been terrible. You would have gotten a fight, you know. Right. So I had to do this for a series of months when I realized this is a pattern. This isn't like a mood. I'm not on my period. Like I'm doing this all the time. And when it starts to break down any relationships and maybe some people like give you feedback, but you have to be open to it and yeah. i think like the problem with like mental health is a lot of us have shame around be having things or we're kind of like in denial and so we wait until like the consequences get bad enough and then they're like okay maybe i'll see someone but yeah so i discovered <laughs> this through this and it's been so healing because once you know what you have you can do stuff about it you can really shift your um how you like how you think about things how you feel how you how you react to things mm -hmm. and you can get very very therapeutic with it but yeah, I, I would say what this church did to us with the kicking, the way, the, the way they kicked me out, once you get to that question, the way they kicked me out, I'll explain why it was so detrimental to my mental health. So whenever you guys... Yeah. Well, oh. welcome to Journaling Junkies. Oh, yeah. uh, we're going to start a new show. Journal. Juicy. <laughs> Journaling Junkies. <Yep>. Journaling Junkies. <laughs> okay. So we have some fan questions. I don't have any names uh, oh, okay. with this. Yeah. Um, they didn't leave them. But if you want to ask questions on future shows, uh, you can become a member on YouTube. It's $5 a month. You'll be able to get special perks like this, as well as be named as an executive producer on our future videos and our future documentaries. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so check that out. It also helps support the channel. Eventually, I'll be able to pay Lana like $6 a month or something <laughs> for being on the show. Um, but, okay, so this first question goes, what was the turning point or event that led you to leave the Westboro Baptist Church, or in this case, get kicked out? And can you describe the emotions you experienced at that moment? Wow, that's a loaded question. Good question, though. Um, I was – well, I was – a. I was a teenager. I was in college, I guess you would say, 20, 20 21, going on 22. Um, but it was my pivotal, like, teenage years where you have raging hormones. You know, I was boy crazy. I was boy crazy from the day I was, like, I don't know. Since like, before joining, right? Since before joining. So I had to reel that shit in and, like, you know, suppress it. And I couldn't date. And you go from, like, dating to, like, nothing. It's – anyways. I just saw so many hypocrisies, whether it was with the, with our picketing ministry, whether it was with uh, biblical things that we would say, we'd hold this person to a standard, but not themselves. I noticed ah. that the, the, the elders specifically, uh, as I was a teenager, I would hear all these stories about the, the elders above me. When they were teenagers, they were allowed to date, they were allowed to kiss, they were allowed to do this. But it got more restrictive? Yeah, and back in their generation, just one generation ago, they were able to sleep with people, they were sleeping with people outside of marriage. Hmm. And I was like, listen, I, I get you guys are all having so much fun, but like, why are you changing the Bible standard for us? This is how you lived your life and you're godly and you're Christian and your God hasn't condemned you to hell, but now we're, we're, our, we're condemned to hell. So they kept telling us, oh, you need to learn from our sins and our mistakes. I did this so you can I had better. to learn from my parents and the elders' mistakes that they made that they were not held accountable for, but I'm being held accountable for. So I was like, dude, this, this logic does not make sense. I'm, I, I, I'm sure I was super boy crazy. At the time, I did end up 
I had never I found a guy that I was talking to online through like the WBC emails and he was asking random questions. He was kind of like weirdly fanatic over Westboro, but I was like, I didn't have any other oh, people I could really. That's crazy. That's, like yeah. we find, they out here finding love through the Westboro Baptist emails, like the hotline yeah. Yeah. and people like Lana are still out here struggling. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was not a. It did, the relationship did not end well. I, I didn't assume no, it would it, it based didn't. on the, the based upon how you met. Right. Yeah, but <laughs> I'm sorry. I could just like we like to you yeah. know we, we kind of joke about but like you're we like, joke about this is the one. Obviously. This is the one elder. He messaged me through the emails and I showed him the good word. Wait, is this like AOL? No, no, no. They had like a like you could reach out and ask questions. It to was the church, an right? email system. It was like the WC email. It's system. like when we get clients here, they mm-hmm. reach out to us through the Sticky Paws website. It's probably the same yeah. thing. They had a okay. Westboro website. Yeah. Okay. We were allowed to answer emails, but we were like allowed to date or have friends in school, you know. So, anyways, um, I have been talking with this guy outside of the WPC emails because we got each other's emails. We started one on one, and I think that definitely got me in trouble. Um, but I think they just recognized that I was a very, very rebellious, curious kid. And when we would sit down in the Bible studies with the other kids, I would ask questions that they couldn't answer. I was like, well, this thing that you're saying in the Bible doesn't line up with this thing. You know, I would question some of the signs that they had. And on top of like being like, I guess you would say that's rebellious because I'm not I'm not listening to. But you're rules. going against them. And yeah. they probably were like, what the Hell fuck no. are you doing? They're gonna, yeah, we're going to make an example out of you. We're going to kick you out. Um, so they abruptly, yeah, they basically, I was 21 going on 22. I just got graduated nursing school and I lived at home with my parents. I had never really lived outside of that context. And, uh, they're like, yeah, we're going to kick you out. That's it. You're, you're cut off from your family. I was the oldest of four kids. So it was me. I was 21. My sister Taylor was 16. She's still in the church. She's actually married in with kids. And then my two youngest, Bo and Faith, they were three and five at the time. So there was a huge age gap. You know, my parents had me and Taylor. And then when they joined the church, they stopped birth control and they had two more. And so, yeah, that's how that worked. But I was very, very, very close with everyone. Like the two youngest, Bo and Faith, uh, I I basically helped raise them from the time they were babies. Like I went to school, came home, take care of them. So when they kicked me out, they're like, yeah, you're not going to see them ever again. They're three and five. I was like, these feel like my my kids almost. Like I was was 21 and they were three and five. So I just felt like they were like, I was the second mom kind of thing. And so it was devastating for me. And I and I really didn't believe them right away. I'm like, okay, we're fighting. Like, you guys are mad at me. Like, I can come home in a couple weeks. Like in my head, I didn't I didn't get uh, it. So where did you go for the couple weeks? Uh, obviously you then yeah. realized it was it, it was, was forever. Yeah. Yeah. But where but did you go? Like they were until it then? gave me three two days. I think it was on a Friday, and I had to like Sunday to get out of the house or to get out of the hotel. They booked me a hotel for two nights, Friday, Saturday, and I had to go somewhere Sunday. So what? in Topeka, Kansas, I didn't I didn't even know you could find a house that quick, but I basically went into like the ghetto of Topeka. They had like a furnished apartment for five hundred bucks a month. Where like all remember the cra- Lana, remember those days when apartments like were all the crack addicts are hanging out over there. And so yeah, I found a pl- I cozied up next to them. God. And you were like, you guys want to hear the good lo- the good word? <laughs> <laughs> I, dude, I had no energy in me to do anything I like bet. that. I was Wait, just I have- like, so you said you said your your parents were on birth control. I yeah I think so because before the church like they lived a very relatively normal life like a lot of people like they have a couple kids and they're done and they go back on birth control so my mom I think was on it for a long time but and they that's didn't allowed it. with that church no I they just... didn't believe in it which they... is why they ended up having more kids right 
So my parents were on birth control before I joined. And then when they joined the church, they, the church makes you follow all the oh. rules. Or oh, at least, you okay, know. Okay, okay, okay. So then they're like, okay, we got to go back on birth control. No, did I say that wrong? Back I said off. It ba- back off. That's there okay. you go. Mm-hmm. Back off. <laughs> um, so, and then they had more kids. They had two, Bo and Faith. So, oh, yeah. okay. Because I was wondering. I was like, birth control? I thought that wasn't like allowed. It's not. <laughs> it's not. It's not. That's exactly right. All right. Uh, so this next question goes... Um, can you share any specific examples of the beliefs or actions within the, the church that troubled you the most and ultimately pushed you to, and I guess in this sense, to get in trouble and leave, and get question. kicked out? Um, like I said, the hypocrisy of the elders was huge because we were, you have to understand, we're going to protest funerals of kids that like were, were fighting the military at age 21, 24. They're dying for a country. And we're over there like gr- like protesting a grieving mar- parents and we're over here like we're better than you and we're more self-righteous and we're going to heaven and then i would ask them we have the audacity to do this to people but we can't hold ourselves to stand like accountable for our own sins right so we're around like all the elders like i said like the shirley was a big prominent figure at the time she was she was uh, pastor phelps uh, daughter she was a very big spokesperson during the time i was there i was you know good friends with her daughters shirley phelps and uh, she would, she had a child out of wedlock and everybody kept asking her, why is it you're okay? To, you're, you're allowed to like go around sleeping with people outside of marriage, which is fornication, which is one of the things they criminalized everyone for and said, God's sending you to hell for. And yet you did it, which, oh, I've atoned. I've already made amends. I, and I'm like, <laughs> so you, you know, like it just, that part didn't make sense. And it happened with several of the women that had met, had children out of wedlock. Like one of them didn't even have a, a husband. I think two of them didn't even have a husband. Mm. And I was just like, okay, I, I'm all cool with the fact, if, if you wanna believe we're all sinners, I'm down with that. Like I got that, I understand that. We're all many mistakes, we're all sinners, you know, blah, blah, blah. But how is it that we are better than other sinners? Why is it, why, why are we on a pedestal that we get to condemn everyone and judge everyone literally to hell forever? Like not nothing small and at funerals, the one of the most grievous places you can go, um, so I thought we were just on this high, ho- holy high horse. And I didn't like that. Like, I hated that. And I hated having to answer for questions like that. And, you know, certain things would really strike me, like the, the children's funerals, the Amish children's funerals. I don't know that we did too many children's funerals, but it was enough to really get me questioning. And then there's vi- there's little verses in the Bible that said, God does not have pleasure in the death of the wicked. There's specific verses that say right. things that we went against. So then I would be like, if we're really biblical, why are we ignoring certain chunks of the Bible or certain verses? And that was what pushed me to not be religious anymore was like... The hypocrisy, Yeah, right? like we're going to do this, but... Picking and choosing verses and stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. Cherry picking yes, your verses. Yes, the cherry picking to support like their ministry and their protest. I actually... ironically there was a blessing and a curse being there so i got really close with god one-on-one like personal faith but like the whole religion part like right you i've heard it explained with people who are religious but aren't with the church they said they have a relationship relationship like i i I pray on my own i I study on my own i don't put it down anyone's throats i would never like go and hold a sign right because you're not a part of the ministry you're not a part of the church and that's where the problems stem and there's so many verses say not to judge people so many that you can't even like like, so it's but like, the okay. gays, Lauren. <laughs> Oops, my bad. No, it's just so it's so bad. Like that there's like you said, people cherry pick. So I noticed that pretty quickly on. And I do believe like there's some several times in my life and even after the church kicked me out where I felt like God saved me. Like I if I was up to me just by myself, I, I was so depressed and suicidal. I wouldn't have been here today. Like I, there was a time when I after I got kicked out, 
I had called my parents with a panic attack. And I was like, I think I'm going to die. I feel like I'm going to die. Like, I really, like, I'm very unstable. Uh, I need help, you know, whatever. And, you know, they just hung up on me. They're basically like, oh, you know, uh, pray to God and get closer to God. I'm like, I'm doing that. I've been doing that. And, you know, I still feel really low. So, you know, I could just, it's just going through that experience. And then, and then I really did pray. I would, okay, I don't know what to do. I'm super sad and I'm super devastated and just show me the way. And I would slowly but surely find, you know, whatever, a path or a guide or a friend or something. So, yeah. So I would say like not religious in that regard, but I, I, there's, I believe in God. I have faith. It's personal. It's a personal journey. And I just really don't think I should, people should be judging and projecting all their crap on right. people. And I'm so against that. Your yeah. relationship to God shouldn't be valued on how many times you go to church. <laughs> that either. Yeah. That either. Yeah. No, definitely not. So. Some of these questions are like already getting answered, which is totally fine. <laughs> That's okay. Um, so what are, uh, no, uh, this one was, how has your perspective on religion and spirituality evolved since leaving the church? And do you still consider yourself a religious person? We kind of answered yeah. the second half of that. It's but- evolved a lot more than that too, because when I first left, I really only knew biblical things. And now I understand that spirituality is a lot more than that too. Like with my mental health journey, I've had to do plant medicines and things to unlock the programming of my mind and the subconscious beliefs that were torturing me. Um, you know, I, I felt like a lot of shame about myself. I'm not worthy. I'm not good. And, you know, you could kind of, people could twist that and say that's biblical, right? You're allowed to be shameful. You're, you know, but I really think it was the religion, right? It was the man-made religion, the men, humans telling me you're not good enough. But I'm like, but what is God, what do, what do I really believe? And like, even when I've done ayahuasca and some of these plant medicines, I think, which I think are on earth for a reason. I don't think they just populated by themselves i think there's a creator i think there's some anyways we can get into that different day but (laughs) it's crazy to me that something that's just in nature or that you can even stew together can open your every single human subconscious in a way that's healing every single one of us we're all from different backgrounds we all have completely different upbringings ethnicities backgrounds cultures but we're healing our subconscious when we all have different subconscious programming and we all have different issues but we're taking the same medicine? Like, what the hell? There's something very miraculous about that, you know? So I knew that the world is not just what I think it is. It's not just what, it's not just what maybe what people have read in the Bible. It's also like nature, universe, power, energies. Like, there's so much to this whole thing. And so like, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely very spiritual in that regard too. Like, you know, like the whole subconscious thing, spirituality, um, you know, energies even. Like, I, you know, I think that we can learn a lot through our dreams and through lots of different ways of like you know assessing things but uh yeah I don't know if that answers the question no I think it I think it does like if one Lauren's gonna do one thing it's gonna be give us information (laughs) but uh, I I don't feel like left out like I do I do still believe in in uh an afterlife right like as far as the context of heaven and hell I don't believe it in the same fire brimstone like I've I've done thorough thorough bible studies where I probably won't get into all that now because it's just way too much information but I've done them to the point where I understand that hell is like being removed from love, being removed from source, being removed from God, being removed mm. from connection. And I think all of us humans are children of light, love, connection, and that we are actually all that. And if we keep ourselves from each other, from connecting, whether it's through cruel acts, you know, serial killers, shit, you know, that's pretty fucked up. I'm perfectly happy for you to be in whatever hell that is. I don't know exactly all of it. I know it's going to be separate from the good, separate from people who are good. 
you're separate. You're not going to be, you know, it even says there's a goal fixed. So there's going to be people that deserve to go to hell and there's going to be people who don't. And I think whoever, even if they didn't live a life that was justified, like, you know, there's probably people in jail that shouldn't be in jail. There's definitely people that are not in jail that should be in fucking jail. There's <laughs> definitely people who should be dead that are not dead. You know, that should, maybe they should have attached the death penalty to serial killers immediately instead of letting them be in jail for a long time. But I think that there will be an ultimate justice, right? Like that this earth doesn't have our justice completely. Um, we have lots of examples of that. Yeah. And so I do believe I don't have the full capacity and the full knowledge. Like, have you done psychedelics before? No. Okay. I'm too, You're too far, scared. Well, oh, let yeah, me just, I, I'm not even like a big dabbler. Right. I've done very little and it's not like my thing by any means. I did it for mental health. I did ayahuasca, two journeys, ayahuasca for mental health. But what it did teach me is that I know nothing. Like I know so right. little of things and other things in life teach you that too, right? Experience, yeah. if you go through a grief with death, mm -hmm. like you all of a sudden learn, it smacks you in the face and it says, you know nothing. Ready? Okay, this is an experience you knew nothing about and now you know it. And I'm like, okay. Like there's shit in life that does that to you. It's not just psychedelics, but I will say that they help open your mind. And that's when you, sometimes even if you go on ayahuasca or mushroom or even dabble in a little bit, you start to see the universe is so much bigger than we think it is. We are so small, we're so insignificant. And so like, I don't know, like, uh, I can't remember why I was going in that direction. <laughs> well, because we're talking about your spirituality. Yeah. So. so I think a lot of things have helped open my mind to that. And also just interacting with lots of different people, different cultures. I love to travel. Um, and you just see that, like, even in different cultures, what is the standard across? We all gravitate towards love, connection, family, belonging. Like, it, it's everywhere. So if that's the truth and that's the core of, like, who we are, then I could, you know, I can believe in those values. So, Yeah. Very well. So uh, uh, this next one, so you, I don't know if you shared it on the episode, but before you were telling me how you still have family in yes, in the church. I do. So can you share any insights into the mindset of those still inside the church and how they may maintain their beliefs in the face of public backlash? And I mean, you did that yeah. for seven years. Okay. So, so well, what's my opinion on why the people still in it can believe it? Yeah. Like, what okay. do you think, what do you think I'll their mindset you. is, or maybe based on when you I'll were in you. like... Yes. Yeah. Okay. I understand the question. So I will, th I think that a majority of it is several things. First of all, they've been there their whole life or a long majority of their life where the programming is nonstop, right? And when you're in a, a community where the exposure you're getting is mostly that, and, and, and you also have a us versus them mentality and everything that in life that you're is validating that right so if you if the media news media is like oh you guys are hateful pieces of crap like they're like oh that's a us versus them mentality they hate us and then they'll go to their bibles and they'll say god god said the the world will hate you okay great the world hates us so we're god's people they have these verses to validate it they have this whole church that they run they will run it the way they want to and any outside voice gets kicked out so they they control the influence, they control the mentality, they control the narrative, and that constantly keeps them out. And then they are so, they've been so extreme with these beliefs, there's also a huge fear of rejection, fear of getting kicked out, fear of losing God, you lose a lot. So not only do you lose your family, which is a form of abuse in my in my opinion, you're losing your, uh, your religion, your belief system. So if you believed in God and these very harsh beliefs for a very long time, when you get kicked out, you, it's almost like spiritual abuse. You lose your identity. You lose, you lose who you were. And if you were preaching these things for 20 years and that's all you've ever known and now you get kicked out and you think you're a piece of shit because like, 
I got kicked out by the people that were the only people of God. Now I'm a piece of shit. Now I'm with the rest of the world and they're all going to hell. Like you're, it's a, such a mind fuck that it's, it truly is very devastating because you also lost the people that were keeping you sane, sane, the people that were um, keeping you feeling unified or uplifted or, uh, it's you your know, whole support. It's group. your whole support group. So if you lose your whole support group, or your whole support group bullies you and turns on you, okay, now who's going to keep you standing? Who's going to keep you uplifted? Who's the person you're going to call when you're suicidal and you're freaking depressed? You have no one to call because those are the people that actually hate you now. Those are the people that are shaming you and you know condemning you, uh, and you haven't. A lot of times you haven't had time to establish a relationship or an identity outside the church yet because it takes time for that. Like, I, I didn't know who the hell I was three or four or five years outside the church. Are you kidding? It took me like a while. It it's a journey. Like 15 years out, I'm, I'm, I feel a lot better, but I know people that have left 10 years out and they're on a, they're still trying to figure out their way. They're trying to figure out where home is. Like they still don't know where home is outside of the place they got kicked out of. I know people that, uh, just couldn't even deal with life and, 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 and then, you know, people that have had suicidal thoughts and it's devastating, you know? So, uh, it's a, just think of it as a bully mentality. It might even be like kind of similar to like a mob or a gang you're in it or a cult or a cult. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but it's just, it's so, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's intense. I, I can't remember if I answered the question. No, you absolutely okay. did. Okay. You, no. Yeah. It, um, yeah, I, I've seen this a lot with like cults. Like I, I do a lot of research into cults and I listen to a lot of podcasts about cults and it's like all of the workings are, are Yeah, there, they're all so. there. And the thing is we were told that we were in a cult by like news media and anyone would come to interview us. And we were absolutely like, no, we're not. Like we would like fight them <laughs> Which on Which is it. what a cult would say, yes, by the way. Yes, <laughs> it is. And, it's, and I was trying to think, well, why did we believe that? And that's and then I was realizing it's, it was that whole, the world will hate you, they'll mock you, they'll condemn you. So it's so easy to disregard because we had Bible verses to validate that. And so it, it wasn't like we were, you know, when people don't have an argument and they still reject you and they're like, right. I'm just not listening to you because you're an asshole. No, we had an <laughs> argument. We had like, oh, okay, this is what the Bible says. So we don't believe you. But and now the Bible is correct all the time. All the and time. So the and we can we never need. get it wrong. Yeah. So it was uh, anyways, it, it we had a reason for deflecting and completely shooting down anyone that would challenge that cult mentality. But I had never really researched a cult when I was in a cult. I wasn't research. I was like, let me see if I really am. No, they don't want you to. Do no, that. <laughs> no. But not even as in a, you know, because we had the Internet. We probably I probably could have looked up stuff. And all I knew is like, oh, the Jim Jones or drinking yeah. the lemonade. You're drinking the freaking the Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid. Yep. And I'm just like, OK, we're not that. But, you know, we weren't violent. So we didn't have that on our thing. Um, but it was like uh, with the whole cult thing. Um, when I left, I realized it was the whole deprogramming thing. Right. Like the whole right. um, it was be- being humiliated publicly. It was being shamed. It was having extreme punishments that you knew were not right. Um, the no, absolute unforgiveness of anything you do, um, you know, all or all, all or nothing. And this all or nothing mentality, this black and white thinking, is devastating, and it really fucks your mind. Like, I, I, it's something I've had to work on the black and white thinking. And so it's um, because that's the way we're raised. It, it, either some human that walks in the room is all good or all bad. You know, there's ideal, no in between. There's no in between. Every ideology is all good or all bad. Everything's either a lie or the truth. There's never any gray area. So when you're taught that the whole time you're growing up, it's really hard to like decipher things and have gray areas and have like loose opinions on stuff. Like, yeah. and so that's another part of your identity that you get lost and you're still trying to figure shit out and have like, you know, opinions on stuff. So I struggle with that. I'm, I'm better now. I'm really a lot more accepting of gray areas on things and partial truths and things like that. But it, I feel like a lot of the kids that leave, that's that's so hard for them. Like they don't know how to even like think 
I'm I'm just a I'm just a kid that hasn't figured it out. They'll think I'm a piece of shit. Like I'm right. literally I'm useless to this world. And so that's that's a hard Aww. thing to pull someone out of. You know, it's an internal belief. They say that I mean I've done I've done a little bit of research on suicide recently just because I it, I think it's ramping up so much and it's so devastating and, and I I'm, I'm just like how do we how do we help this, you know, epidemic that we have? And it says that the shame, like internal shame, the thoughts you tell yourself about yourself is what's causing it. So if your whole life, everyone you, that loved you told you you're pretty much a piece of shit and that like without us, you're nothing, without God, you're nothing, whatever, then you don't really have an internal like like boundary. You don't have something right. to, Purpose. To, to, yeah, you don't have a way to like talk yourself out of it. Yeah. And so even when, other, when everyone else tries to tell you how great you are, you think that everyone's lying to you. And so that's, it's just, it's crazy. It's, it, yeah, so it's kind of, yeah. Tremendous, tremendous. <laughs> it's bizarre. It is definitely <laughs> bizarre. So uh, what steps can society take to counter the influence of extremist groups like the church while still upholding principles of free speech and religious freedom? Mm, we ask one more time. So, okay, so what's what steps can society take to counter influence um, counter the influence of extremist groups like Westboro yeah. while still upholding principles yes. of free speech and okay. religious freedom. The way you can do it is they can speak, mm -hmm. right? Let them speak. If they want to be terrible, horrible humans with the shitty things they're saying, we <laughs> they can't. They honestly, that's what the freedom of speech is. So that's right. it's a separate. That's a whole separate topic we could talk about all day long. Um, but as long as they're not actually violating people. Now, why they, they actually came up against this thing back when I was there where they were protesting funerals and they were too close. So they're actually obstructing people's peace and ability to grieve. So that was that was put on the docket. It went all the way to the Supreme Court of like, is this allowed to prevent someone from having a peaceful grieving process? Right. So that, um, who knows if that'll go back on, but it, they, they won. So they were able to do that still. I think some some states had like, you have to be 400 feet from the entrance and stuff like that. Um, but that's the whole freedom of speech thing. I think freedom of speech is still acceptable, but um, when you're trying to help someone have a different belief, from my experience, when you are raised in such extreme ideology and it's all me versus them, you have to approach them super delicately. Like if you make fun of them and you condemn them and you tell them how hateful, it, it just it's so easy for them to uh, discard you and completely er, er, not listen because you're not relevant to them. You're not interesting. They get very, very curious when someone's kind. They get curious when someone's patient with them like when documentary uh, um, people come to their house and spend weeks to talk to them about you know how are they feeling oh my gosh your daughter and son are so nice like you know when they see the human side of humans and it when throws they, them off right it throws them off and when they see that they're human when they're being, being made to feel human um, instead of like these terrible tyrant monsters that the media will make them out to be when you start to connect on that gray area they're they're more soft they're more gentle they'll start to cry during an interview they'll be more soft it opens up the human side. That's what I noticed. So it's just like, yes, it's so easy to make fun of them and it's so easy to be hateful. It's so even to be disgusted. And I, you can still do that on your own time. But if you want to talk to them one-on-one -on -one, or if you want to have a like thought-provoking conversation, because one of my closest friends, Megan Megan Phelps, that left, she um, not she's not the only one that's left and done this, but she had a thoughtful, thought-provoking conversation through Twitter and she was in the church when it was happening. So she wasn't going to be readily listening. She was obviously still believing the church's ideology, but she uh, they were so patient with her and they were calm and they weren't rude. And they were like, okay, do you think that? Okay, well, let me ask you this question. Well, okay, that's cool. I get, That makes sense, but let me ask you this question. And it was like such a vast difference of just the media being yes. like attack, attack, the attack. The attack does not work. Uh, if you if you do that, you'll probably they'll probably just 
completely discard you right away. Right. Yeah. So you're saying, so you're saying, like the 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 counter the counterbalance to that is to just have human compassion. You can have them. compassion. You can use like gentle humor. You know, like human stuff. Right. You know, like yeah. how we're talking right now. Yeah. We probably they'd probably yeah. be like, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's. Crazy. I'm not just being attacked for picketing. Yeah, and they'll get like all like a little bit suspicious. Like, what's this person' intention? Because they're being nice. <laughs> So uh, this next one asks, are there any misconceptions or stereotypes about your experience uh, or the Westboro Baptist Church in general that you would like to address? Is there anything that like maybe they were saying the media was saying things and you're like, okay, that necessarily wasn't true. Um, Okay. The media said several things when I was there. They're like, oh, they're all incestual. They're all having sex with each other and having like, you know, their sister and brother having sex and having babies. None of that was true. There was no incest. There was no violence the whole time I was there witnessing it. Um, they would, towards the end, they were starting to twist things. Like, they would be a little, uh, like, they would they would misconstrue things. So, like, let's say they would say they're going to go picket somewhere that was outside the country. They can't pick outside the country because of the statutes, the laws. There's no freedom of speech in a lot of other right, countries. Right, yeah. You don't, so they could get locked up. So they would pretend, or they would even post pictures. Because, you, you know, with technology, this is, like, 15 years ago. But now with AI, you could pick it all over the world and say you're there. And you're not. And you're not there. <laughs> That's a concept. All right, yeah. there you go, PETA. You listening? Go do that. Just yeah. Like, We're there. <laughs> so now with AI, you could do anything. But, yeah, so they would say they're picketing places that they didn't. They would just Photoshop themselves in certain places. But, you know, whatever. It was just their method of, like, picketing. But I'm trying to think of something that devastating that they did. They Honestly, the devastating things they did were more about the family, like hiding things that they did in their family. Uh, they The way the pastor died and the way he, his family cut him off from them. Because I, I was going to ask that. He that was, was cut crazy. off and he's voted out in 2013. Yeah, so he was voted out. Uh, he okay. So the Westboro Baptist Church is right across the street from a house called Planting Peace, which is where like uh, I think two homosexual guys live, and they have like a rainbow house, and it's supposed to be like nice. all about peace. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> but it's that. very much like anti-Westboro, right? Um, I don't know much about them. I know that they did do a lot of peaceful projects. Like actually, my, my, um, my little sister Grace that worked for them and did some really amazing stuff that was like charity work and um, things like that. But anyways, those are the two houses across. So when Pastor Phelps was getting older, probably getting somewhat sen- senile given everything, um, I'd already been out, but I heard this story. He said across the street, you know, you guys aren't really that bad of people after all. Like he had a he had like a uh. nice comment for his enemies, you know, their arch enemies. And um, that got him in a ton of trouble. I don't know if there was more things that they, they caused offense, but they were like, that's it. The pastor's, the devil's taking over the He's pastor. Compromised. He's compromised. We got to kick him out. You know, we got to isolate him. They immediately, this, I've seen this happen. The cruelty of the isolation, the banishment. When someone gets suspected of like no longer being one of God's people or whatever, they'll cut you off like nothing. Like they never even knew like you. Like you, for example. Yes. They cut me off like they never knew me. You can't go to church anymore. You can't see your parents. You can't see your siblings. You can't see your friends. Like everything's just gone. And then they tell everyone that you're terrible. They tell, they'll also obviously spell out lies about you, that you never wanted to be here, that you wanted this guy instead of this. You don't even love your family. Like they spin all these lies. So you not only get humiliated, shamed, and cut off from people you love, you're getting lies dispelled. So then your siblings start to hate you. Potentially your, you know, your friends start to talk shit on you. Your parents might even deny that you were their child. You get their pictures taken off the wall. Like it's, it's intense. And, uh, this was happening, but they did this to the pastor. So irony of all ironies, the guy that created the whole monster is now getting, you know, kicked out of his own family and house and church and towards the end of his life. And I knew him when he was getting older, he was having some manic tendencies. So I think there's only 
I can only imagine it was getting worse over time, uh, whether it's mental health crisis or senile or dementia, put it all together. But it, he was having that, that stuff. So who knows what was going on? But he died very shortly after this. So he obviously had some extreme degenerative mental health crisis because they moved him from the church to a house across the street that he never lived in by himself, away from his wife, away from his grandchildren. Like it, it, it's just it's just an irony of cruelties. Right. And then like didn't ha- they don't believe in ceremonies like funerals so nobody's grieving him nobody's having a memorial service which is very strange by the way because they they used to have funerals when i was there they the pastor actually would uh, talked about a funeral he he had done years ago uh, ida's funeral but anyways they got more extreme over time but they kicked their own guy out and 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 just kept kept his grandchildren from seeing him in the hospital on hospice like it was just the whole thing just got crazy. Same thing happened. Similar things happened to the to the um, his wife when she passed away. She got, you know, I don't know if she was kicked out, but like she was isolated from everybody and didn't hold a ceremony and like moved her body. Like they they have these very strange things where they don't want to worship the dead, so they like hide the body and stuff. Yeah. What? It's very fucking weird. What? Are, so, that's what? intense. I mean, I think that they put. I think that they said they put her in like a, a field somewhere, like but an unmarked. <laughs> just threw her un- out in there, and they're like, All an right. unmarked <laughs> grave, maybe. See you, grandma. It's it, the thing is, <laughs> it's so funny and it's so crazy it's at the so same. Sad it's so at, yeah. freaking sad. Yeah. Because I'm like, I knew this woman as like a grandmother figure, you right. know. So like, and, and I'm and I'm looking at it like I'm not even connected to them like that anymore. But I remember being connected to them like humans, you know, and I saw the human side of them, even though they had this crazy monster side. And I, I called her Grant. I called him Gramps. And um, my family did the same thing. And then my family ended up leaving three years ago. They had been in it for 20 years. So my mom, my dad, my brother, Bo and my sister, Faith, they left recently, which they, you know, they they're, they have had a huge change of heart, which I'm very, very proud of. But my little sister Taylor's still there. So my sister Taylor, who's five years younger than me, is married into the Church of Phelps with kids I don't know what I haven't been able to talk to her in all this time because they're not allowed to communicate. But you've watched all this shit go down. Like you've watched Gramps, the pastor, get kicked out of his own family, wow. tossed to the side. No, you know you watch that happen, and then you watch Grant, and she's getting tossed to the side. Like everyone just acted like she wasn't your grandma for all these years. Now we're gonna wow. pretend like it, it's just it's so baffling that you see, now I'm seeing extreme extreme things happen on the outside and be like. I don't know if I could stay here after seeing all that bullshit go down. Right. Like now, now like, the writing's clear. Like, is it not, what else can happen at this point? And there's many other crazy things that have happened, um, you know, that I can't even get into, but yeah, it's, it's disturbing. And then you're seeing like, you're going to be, you know, you're stuck in this church and you actually, they actually probably still believe this shit. They really probably believe they need to stay there because this is the only people that God loves and they're going to go to hell otherwise. And I'm like, damn, I wish, there was a way to get through because I are, I know that's not true anymore, but I, I used to believe it. So I get it, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I have a question. <laughs> if there's, if there's like, um, like a, a pregnancy out of wedlock, do they, do they like abort kids, kill the kids? Is there like a big old secret behind that and stuff like that? That's a really good question. So they, none of my generation has had, well, actually that's not true. Sarah did. I think what? this girl, Sarah, but she had left the church first. She left the church she got kicked out of the church, had a baby, came back. I know that much. That's and they all. let her back in. They let her back in. Oh, but it's strange wow. that, that that's this is the this is the hypocrisy that I was learning when I was there. Sarah, this thing with Sarah happened after I left, but the the generation before me, I think it was Liz that had a child out of wedlock. Shirley did, 
and um, I think Margie did, but Margie ha- actually miscarried. I think it was a miscarriage. It was a miscarriage, and she ended up buried the baby and everything, but then ended up having an adopted son. But yes, they absolutely had child- children out of wedlock, and then they just said, "Sorry, we atone for it. Like we're 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 sorry for it. We told God we're sorry, and we're done. <laughs> but we're allowed back in." Oh yeah, and then JL. JL was one of my best friends. She her parents had her out of wedlock, but. They got kicked, her parents, I think, got kicked out, and then they then they had jail, and they came back, and they're like, yeah, come on back. Like I was just like, you guys, so you could go back. You even can go if they back, got out? even if you mess up. <laughs> well, have you? I don't know if you watch. I haven't tried to go back. I, I don't know if you watch Family Guy, but they had a joke about that. With oh really? Like, with, and it was like when Osama bin Laden was killed, he just went, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And right as he was shot, he appeared in he appeared in heaven, and he was like, oh yes, I did it. Like you got like, just the nick of time. Yeah, that's just that's all you have to do, but. Lauren, we could talk for literally five oh hours. God. We could do an entire yeah. day, but we got to wrap up here. Okay, yeah. Please let the people know what you have going on. Also, thank oh, you wow. so much for doing this. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, Westboro is not my main thing gig anymore, <laughs> but I have done, I have wrote a memoir on it called Banished, Surviving My Years in the Westboro Baptist Church, and that's on Amazon, or you can find it. But then I also have my website, laurendrain.com. I've got a link tree, so you can check all the stuff there. I've got workout programs. I love to like stay in shape and get fit. And uh, you can check, check out any of my other stuff on Linktree if you want to see my extra stuff, my extra fun stuff. And Triggered Podcast. And Triggered is my yeah. podcast. That teaches a lot. You, I do. Actually, Thank you, you Lana. record out of this exact room. I record, yes. yes. <laughs> and so um, Triggered is an awesome one on Spotify or YouTube. Triggered by Lauren Jane. I talk about mental health, how the Westboro journey started. And yeah, it's really fun. So I'll have to have you on there at some point. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. We can talk mental yeah. health. Uh, Lana, where can the people find you? What you got going on? You guys can find me at Bizarre Junkies. <laughs> that is one of them. That's one of them. No, I have my own podcast called uh, Laughing with Lana on YouTube and Spotify. Or you guys can find me at Lana Chaires Comedy. Yeah, you have to. You have I have to, to say it in Spanish because then people say cherries and then they they spell the wrong they, thing. Yeah, they spell it wrong. Yeah, it's like a porno last name. Yeah, but thank you, Lana, for coming on. Uh, thank you so much, to everybody watching. Uh, all the links for our merch, our social medias. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok. We're blowing up there. Uh, we'll be linked down below. And until next time, everybody, stay bizarre.